Well, good morning, Good Shepherd. I'm Talbot Davis, the pastor here. Whether you're live at Moss Campus or live stream, always, always, always glad to be able to connect with you. And like the video said, we're starting a brand new teaching series today. It is called Influencer, and it's all about a series of conversations we'll be having on how you can influence people not to buy products or support causes, but how you can really influence people towards matters of eternity. And that applies to the younger generations coming behind you, or people living around you, maybe even people who are inside of your life group. And uh, today's message is called Notorious Y-O-U, and it comes from the Old Testament book of Joshua. So if you have your Bible with you, I want to invite you to locate the book of Joshua, chapter 2, and if your Bible, uh, it, some of you may have a Bible that looks like this. It looks kind of like a book, even though it's not a book, it's a library. Others of you may have your Bible on your phone, and uh, either way, just locate that. And if, if you don't have a Bible with you, either one that looks like this or one that's loaded on your phone, and you're wondering a little bit what you're going to do, it's okay. The words will be up on the screen like they always are just at the right time and and I mentioned that Joshua or I mentioned that the Bible is a library and not a book and and within the library that is the Bible the book of Joshua is in the history section ancient ancient history 1200 years at least before Jesus was even born so this is these events are all about 3200 years ago or more and we believe uh, that, that kind of helping you understand where these books come from and the time in which they were written, we believe that's so vital because not only do we believe that this is a library and not a book, but in, in leadership here, you, you may not believe this yet, and that's okay, or you may be wrestling with it, and that's okay. But we like to have clarity about what we believe in leadership here, and it's this. We believe that, the, that God breathed his life into the Bible's words, he put his truth onto the Bible's pages, and it really is inspired, eternal, and true. And because we believe that about the Bible, when we are together, we do something a little bit unusual with it. And some of you are already beating me to the punch. We lift it up. And if, if you've never been here and you've never tuned in before and, and you're seeing phones and Bibles up in the air and you're like, oh, that's unusual. You, you know how we respond to that? We admit it. It's different, but we've discovered that when we lift up the Bible together, even though it might seem a little bit odd or strange when you first see it, it really is a moment of oddity that shapes our identity as a community, that we're a collection of people joyfully surrendered to the authority of the word and ready for its power to be let loose in our lives. Amen. Amen. Before I say another word, let's pray. So God, thank you for the Holy Spirit who inspired the author of Joshua so long ago. And thank you that the same Holy Spirit is still alive and moving and active. I pray that he will, from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet, fill me with a fresh pouring out of everything that's good and everything that's right and everything that's joyful about a living relationship with Jesus Christ. I am powerless without you. But because of you, hallelujah, I'm not helpless. In your name we pray. Amen. 
Well, one thing that I know about uh, virtually every one of you who's, who's gathered live or live stream, and actually it's not, it's not virtually every one of you, it's every one of you, is that you have a past. You have a yesterday. Whether you're a child, whether you're adolescent, whether you are an, an adult, you have a yesterday that has really a pretty enormous influence on today. Now, for, for some of you, maybe for a lot of you, that, that yesterday was, was kind of idyllic. You were raised in a stable home, and, and that has led you to make pretty logical kind of decisions, and, and the life that you have now is, is essentially healthy. You, there may have been some pain along the way. You may have a few skeletons over in the closet, but by and large, Whatever you experienced yesterday has led to a pretty good today. And then others of you, not so much. And I know this because you give me this incredible privilege of your trust. But I know that so many of you, both live and live stream, your yesterday, your past was filled with chaos and that chaos sort of manifested itself as you grew older. You kind of couldn't escape some of the entanglements of your, of your past. And that led to a series of really bad decisions, which has led to a series of broken and ruptured relationship. It has led to some, some things that you have done that you're really ashamed of, and maybe even most powerfully, things that you've done that you hope no one finds out about. You could say that, that, that your past is, is checkered or notorious. Yeah, there's notorious B-I-G. Yes, you can be amazed that I know who that is. But really, there is notorious Y-O-U as you think about your past. And then with all that sort of baggage that you bring into church today, you walk into church and we dare to be talking about a subject like influencer where we are able to, to say to you that we believe that you, you, that you can have an influence with the younger generations coming behind you, that you can have an influence in the beautiful marriage movement that is around you. You can have an influence even by being in your life group and, and, and you hear us talking about the influence for good that you can have and deep down you're, you're like, really? If they only knew if they only knew what I've done, if they only knew what's been done to me, because in the eyes and the minds and the hearts of so many of you, your past disqualifies you from any kind of impact and any kind of influence in the future. And the thing is, the interesting thing is, is that such a normal thing to believe? It's, it, it's, it, and again, the, the level of, of trust and vulnerability and honesty that you bring to the pastors here is such an honor that, that we hold so deeply. But the thing is, no, no matter what it is that you've done, no matter what it is that has been done to you, you don't take the cake. You, you haven't gone the farthest and you haven't done the most. You're not the worst. We're going to be looking at an Old Testament character today, an Old Testament character with, interestingly, some New Testament fame from the ancient, ancient book 
of Joshua. And Joshua, again, as I mentioned, history section of the biblical library, stuff happening 3,000 years ago. And, and the character who we are looking at today, her name is Rahab. And for those of you who grew up in church, and I don't know how many of you that is, I didn't grow up in church, and still I knew what her nickname was, because her nickname is Rahab the Harlot, which is not really a career choice that any young woman makes out of good circumstances, you know, like no young woman ever says, well, I might be a doctor, and I'm I might grow up to be a lawyer, maybe an engineer. If those don't work out, I'll just become a harlot. Said no one ever. It's the kind of career choice that gets thrust on you through tragedy, through unavoidable kinds of circumstances. And we don't know much of Rahab's background story, how it happened to be that she landed in the kind of profession that she landed in. But what we do know, as the book of Joshua opens up, is that Rahab plies her trade in a city called Jericho. And, and that means that Rahab is not Jewish, not yet at least, which likely means that she worshiped, to the extent that she worshiped, she worshiped hundreds of, and dozens of gods and goddesses like everybody else in, in Jericho. But the city of Jericho, though it wasn't yet Jewish, it was firmly in the sights of the invading Jewish army because the Jewish army, they, they had escaped from, from Egypt. Remember when the Red Sea, Charlton Heston parts the Red Sea, that's Moses, and, and they escaped from there, and they're headed to the promised land, and Jericho's in the way of their conquering the promised land. And, and so look at what happens. Joshua chapter 2 and verse 1. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, now who is Joshua the son of Nun? Well, Moses, Charlton Heston, he dies, as people do. And so Joshua is his successor. So Joshua is the leader of the Jewish people. He's the commander of the Israelite army. Joshua, the son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go, look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. Now, you know what's interesting, maybe even a little bit ironic about that, is that 40 years earlier, Joshua himself had been sent by Moses, Charlton Heston, been sent by Moses to do what? To spy out the land. So now the, the history sort of repeats itself, especially since, since the Jewish people were wandering out around in the desert for 40 years, not making any progress. Now finally they are, and Joshua, who had been a spy, now sends some spies out, and let's see what happens when these two unnamed men get to Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Wait, what? Out of all the houses that they could have gone to in Jericho, they just happened to land in the house of Rahab the harlot. What are we, spo uh, what are we supposed to think about that? I mean, could it be that these two young men with a fresh taste of freedom and anonymity, I mean, nobody knew them in Jericho, wasn't going to get back to their mom and dad. Did, did they go and do what a lot of young men, sadly, getting that first taste of freedom and anonymity have done? 
Or was it completely honest or completely innocent? We don't know because it doesn't say. What we do know is if those two spies had GPS trackers on their cars and their wives or girlfriends were back home tracing their movements, when they got back to the Israelite camp, there would be hell to pay. We know that for sure. Well, however they got there, why ever they got there to Rahab's house. Look what happens next, verses 2 through 7. The king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelites have come here to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I didn't know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. In an era before there was electricity, when you closed the gate, that was making sure, a way of making sure that your people didn't get out and the wrong people didn't get in. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. She's sending her own people on a wild goose chase. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax that she laid out on the roof. So the men, this means the men from Jericho, set out in pursuit of the spies on the roads that, on the road that leads to the fords of, jo- of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out on their wild goose chase, the gate was shut. Now, you know what's kind of sad about that whole little encounter is that Rahab has both experience and expertise at making sure that men who went to her house did not get caught. Come with the territory. And what's also interesting to me is why is it that she's a traitor to her own people? I mean, think about it. When, when, when she plays this trick on her own king and she sends the, the men from her own city out on this wild goose chase after spies who are hiding out in her house, she is really ensuring the ultimate destruction of the city of Jericho. And I was like, why? What, what made her become a traitor to her own people? And, and as I pondered that, I realized, ah, maybe more than anybody else, Rahab knows exactly the kind of people she's dealing with. Because she knows all the levels to which they have abused her, to which they've shamed her, to which they've rented her. And she must have thought to herself, well, I am going to show the people of this city exactly the same kind of loyalty and exactly the same kind of respect that they have shown me. There's another reason why, why Rahab chooses to side with the spies rather than her own city. And we see that in verses 8 through 11, the conversation she hides has with these men who are hiding. Look at verse 8. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on, on, on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. 
And when we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Aha! Now, now remember, Rahab, as I mentioned, she's not Jewish. She's a Gentile. She's from Jericho. She likely has idols and shrines to gods and goddesses all over her home. That's her religious background. And yet she knows, she knows that the God of Israel is, in fact, a God who far surpasses every other pretender to his throne. And why is it that she knows that? Is it because it's a better philosophy in, in Israelite religion than, than Canaanite religion? No. Is it because it's a more logical religion than what she was practicing? No. <laughs> Is it because they had a better band and light show than the temple down the street? No. It's because she knew that the God of Israel had decisively invaded history. Did you see what she mentioned? He parted the Red Sea. He ensured that your armies had victory over Og and, and Sihon, Og and Sihon, there in the Amorites, that God, the, your God has decisively invaded history. That's why our hearts are melting in fear because of him. And I tell you all that, just, just to kind of, as if, if you've never heard me talk before, this will be new, but some of you have heard me say this before. Those of us in this place who name the name of Jesus, the reason is precisely the same. It's not because we believe Christianity is a better philosophy. It's not because we believe it's a more logical religion or, or even because we got the best music, though I do kind of think we got the best music. We who name the name of Jesus do so because we believe that God has decisively invaded history. It's so great that we said the creed today. He has decisively invaded history in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. That's what the gospel is. The gospel is that history and it is history that is making us and shaping us and that is a history. That is a hill on which I am willing to die, good shepherd. So yeah, but I digress. Hey, that was free. That's not even what I'm talking about today. I just want you to know that, that's, that's the root of our faith. It's not a philosophy. It's based in history. Glory, hallelujah. It's based in history. So Rahab hides these two spies because she's melting in fear because of the God of Israel. And the men from Jericho go out on the wild goose chase in, in, in a vain search for those same spies and, and they don't find them and and look what happens in verses 22 through 24 same chapter joshua chapter 2 when they left meaning the men from jericho they went into the hills and stayed there no i'm sorry these are the spies when they left they went into the hills and stayed there three days until the pursuers that means the men from jericho had searched all along the road and returned to jericho without finding them then the two men, these are the two spies who just happened to go to Rahab's house first thing, started back. They went down out of the hills and forded the river and came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened to him. They, to them. They said to Joshua, the Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. So, so, so uh, Rahab's deception, and it, it's a deception that the author of Joshua, Joshua sort of lifts up as something to admire. 
Her deception works perfectly. And her plan works even better because in the intervening chapters of Joshua, chapters 2 and 3 and 4 and 5, we find out about how the walls of Jericho do come tumbling down, how the city falls to the invading Israelite army, and how that fall is really pivotal to the ultimate conquest and occupation of the promised land. So what Rahab has done really ensures that Israel is able to inhabit the land that had been promised to Abraham hundreds of years earlier. And the whole city, part of that conquest, the whole city of Jericho is destroyed with one shining exception. Take a look at chapter 6 and verse 25. Look at what it says. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her. Why? Because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day, which is a marvelous clue that Joshua was written within just a generation or two of all the events that it is describing. But, but look what's happened. The, the outcast has become an insider. The, the pagan is now a Jew. The, the woman with this notorious past is now, hey, she's one of us and we claim her. And maybe some of you know what that's like. Maybe there was a family that brought you in and the family was of a different race or a different background and they brought you in. Maybe there was a church with a different language and they welcomed you in. Maybe it was even a friend and you had wronged that friend and you were convinced that what you had done to that friend was in fact unforgivable. And what did they do? They forgave you. So you, so you know what it's like to be given a blessing way beyond your level of obedience. You know what it's like to be on the outs and to get brought in. And that's not even the best part of Rahab's story. Because I think I may have mentioned earlier that Rahab is an Old Testament character with some New Testament fame. Her, her story extends long beyond the boundaries of her life. Because over in the New Testament, at the book of Hebrews, which is a New Testament book, a book about Jesus, even though it sounds like it's a, with an Old Testament name, Look what, there, there's chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews is what they call the hall of faith. All the great figures of Israelite faith are included in Hebrews chapter 11. And look who makes the list. Chapter 11, verse 31. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. We're like, what? Along all, alongside all these bona fide Hebrew heroes like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, you're including her with what she did for a living? And the author of Hebrews is like, you better believe I'm including her. And there's more and there's better because the New Testament itself begins with the gospel of Matthew and the inspired author Matthew. He begins his biography of Jesus in a way none of us would ever begin a story, much less a biography, with this long, long genealogy of Jesus, with a trip through Jesus's family graveyard. And he gives us his ancestry.com of Jesus. 
And tucked in that ancestry, look at what we see in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. On and on and on. Now, you need to know that in ancient genealogies, they didn't include women. A typical genealogy in the ancient world thought that only the men were worth mentioning. And so not only do you not include women, you especially don't include women who did what Rahab did for a living. And yet Matthew, the inspired author, God is moving his Holy Spirit through him. And it's Matthew's way of saying, notice her, notice her, pay attention. You want to hide her? You want to put her under a bushel, keep it under wraps? Every one of you probably has someone somewhere in your family tree. Ah, let's just don't talk about that one. Can I hear an amen for that? You all have that person either hiding in the basement or locked up in the, in the attic. Amen. And, and, but Matthew's different. Matthew's like, I'm going to highlight her. And it's God's way of saying her notorious past there's no way that can get in the, in, in the way of this glorious future that I am crafting. And I put all of these pieces together. The, the, the story about Rahab that we get in Joshua and the, and the fact that the New Testament goes to great lengths, not only to welcome her, but to highlight her, to put her name in lights. And it brings me back to that question that really started us out. That, that, that you and and you, and you, and, and you, and, and every one of you, you've thought your past, you've been like, Talbot, if you only knew what I've done, if you've only knew what's been done to me, you'd never think that I could influence people for good. My, my closet is overflowing with skeletons. And if that's you, God has brought you to this place. God has had you tune in to this place so that you might know this in God's hands your notorious past is just the raw material for a noteworthy future yeah you Wh whatever it is that you have done and wherever it is that you have been and especially every one of you who is thinking I've done too much and I've gone too far and God has brought you to this place to say no 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 you haven't that there's your ability to sin is never greater than my ability to forgive. And in fact, some of that raw material of your past, even the trauma and even the difficulty and even the skeletons, God is, God is going to massage something unbelievably good out of something that was undeniably bad. And it is, in fact, the raw material for your noteworthy future. I don't know if you know I don't know if you know how pervasive this is among biblical heroes. I mean, they all, they all have a past. Moses, murderer. Abraham, meet my sister. Peter, denied Jesus. And not just once, he had the trifecta of denial. Paul, 
persecuted the church, accessory to murder. And the great thing about the Bible, one of the reasons that we believe the Bible is inspired and eternal and true is because it doesn't try to whitewash any of it. It includes all those dirty details about its heroes because it is as if the Bible highlights the failures of God's people so that it can spotlight the faithfulness of God. That's why, and it does it by design, and it does it so that you and you and you and you will know you've never gone too far and you've never done too much. That in God's hands, your notorious past is the raw material of a noteworthy future. And you know, you know why this works? This works because people who've been the most forgiven tend to be the most grateful. You know, people who've, who've gone the farthest, and when God welcomes them home, they're so overwhelmed with gratitude, they can't shut up about it. Why do you think that, that some of the most influential people at this church, that they're the ones who've been in rehab? They're the ones who've been locked up? They're the ones who have ruined the relationships. They're the ones with the closets overflowing. And in each and every case, God has taken that past and he's taken that trauma and he's turned it into trust. He's turned ashes into beauty. Some of you, you might be buying what I'm selling. You're like, okay, you kind of got me. I, I didn't think I was going to believe you, but, but now I do. And you're, you're wondering, well, when is the time right? When is the time right that I can influence younger generations with children's ministry and student ministry? And when is the, the time right when, when I can influence other couples in the beautiful marriage movement? Or when is the time right that I could lead a life group or welcome people on a Sunday morning? And you know when that time is right is when those wounds become scars. You know the difference, don't you? That a wound is still bloodied, still hurts. A scar is sort of an invisible reminder, of the, a visible reminder of the journey that you've been on. So I, I don't know exactly when, that, when your wounds turned into scars, you know, like if you did some meth last night. Glad you're here, but I, I wouldn't recommend working with the children's ministry today. And maybe, maybe it's when you've been out of rehab six months. Maybe it's when you've had nine months or a year of sobriety. Maybe, maybe it's when you are enough kind of making sense of the divorce that you went through that you can help others make sense of theirs. And I do know that so many of you will, will likely end up ministering in the same area, the exact same area where you experience the brokenness. That's why all the 12-step meetings that, that, that we host, and we have them for Alcoholics Anonymous and Overeaters Anonymous and Sex Addicts Anonymous and Gamblers Anonymous, they're always led, this is the 12th of the 12 steps, they're always led by people who have suffered through the same addiction and have, and have arrived at some measure of sobriety. It, it works that way. It's why, it's why I loved hearing about that woman who was invited to lead a Mothers of Preschoolers ministry in another city. L listen to what 
how, how she reacted. Elisa Morgan is her name. I am probably the least likely person to head a mothering organization. My parents were divorced when I was five. My siblings and I were raised by my alcoholic mother. Some of you know what that's like. Most of my memories are of my mothering, of my mothering her rather than her mothering me. Alcohol altered her love, turning it into something that wasn't love. Even the best days end with, ended with the warped glow of alcohol, and what she did right was lost in what she did wrong. When they asked me to lead mops, mothers of preschoolers, I went to my knees. How could God use me, who'd never been mothered, to nurture other mothers? And the answer came as I saw all the other needs mirroring my own. God took my deficits and made them my offering. I love that. His power really is made perfect in our weakness. If her, why not you? If Rahab, why not you? If people at this church, why not you? Because ultimately, there's a question that all of us with a notorious past ought to ponder, and it's this, just whose hall of faith will you be on? Just whose genealogy will include you in God's hands, your notorious past, raw material of his noteworthy future. It's a little bit like the friend of mine from this very church who had such a story like this that we made a movie about it. Check it out. Watermelon. All right, watermelon. My name is Kirk Young. I'm a husband, a father of three, a proud owner of two very hyper and loving dogs, and we are members at Good Shepherd Church. I grew up in Texas, and I did not attend church at all. As a young man, I had two older brothers, and Sundays were meant for sports, and church was not uh, a part of that at all. There was no guiding principles or faith values or having a church home as I grew up as a young man. I did try different religions when I was in college, trying to find a peaceful world because I was trying to find peace. It wasn't until I moved here to North Carolina uh, where I met my now wife. Her parents wanted me to make sure that I at least tried out Christianity. And they never pushed me. They never poked and prodded the way others had. And uh, that's kind of what started my way to faith. Once we got married and we were about to have our first child is when I got saved and I was baptized. Watching Kirk's spiritual journey as a follower of Christ has been wonderful. Having a strong faith and seeing the importance of instilling that foundation in our own children has been amazing. And now he also sees the importance of impacting other people's children as well. You might think the kids are looking at me, they're looking to you to lead them. They're looking to you to be a spiritual influence on them. Our life group leaders are amazing. We have such a great team and we really rely on them to be the hands and feet of Jesus for our student ministry. I was asked to become a life group leader. I wanted to say yes quickly because anytime you can help out the church, you want to help out. But then there's a realization that hits you that you go, 
am I qualified to do this? He actually told me <laughs> that he was overwhelmed at first and didn't really want to do it. He was a little hesitant. In the beginning, you are a little nervous. You kind of feel as if, you know, am I going to be saying the right things? Am I going to be doing the right things? Kirk discovered that the group of sixth grade boys that he was leading didn't need him to be a Bible scholar. They just needed him to be authentic. As I've gone through this journey, I've realized uh, it's the power of prayer and the Holy Spirit. And as long as you pray right before you go in, for me, I just feel absolutely comfortable that no matter what I'm going to be doing that night, I'm going to be making an impact with these children. It's just been amazing to see somebody who was afraid to be a life group leader, and then just to see how well he's invested in these boys' lives and to see his growth. We've seen several of his kids make decisions to follow Jesus. It's just inspirational. It's amazing to see. Tonight, what we want to do is, I want you guys to love on your leaders. Sunday night, we had a celebration night. We wanted to celebrate our leaders because they have been so committed. They had no idea what to expect. It was a huge surprise to walk into that room. I almost got teared up. Being a part of this life group this past year uh, has been an incredible experience. Answering this call to serve has meant so much to him, and he's already excited and looking forward to next year. If God's asking you to volunteer, that prompting that you feel, that's not an accident. That's God putting that in your heart. Don't be afraid. It's going to be life-changing for you and for others. Thank you.